Well, I invite you to take the message outline out of your bulletin. You can use that to follow along. Maybe jot a few notes as we go along. And you'll see the, the key concept for this morning at the top of that outline. And here it is. Less is more when the less you hold is what you were created for. That's going to become more clear as we go along and as we get into our passage this morning. Ecclesiastes, you can go there in your Bible, your Bible app, Ecclesiastes chapter 4. And this morning I want to talk about contentment and one of the greatest enemies of contentment, the comparison game the competition game that we can get hooked into. This is Father's Day, and yes, it can hook dads too and creep into their spirits and mindsets. And we might even set our dads up for this. Do you, do you remember ever thinking or even saying to another kid, my dad is bigger, taller, stronger, faster, better than your dad? Now, maybe that was a guy thing. My dad's tougher than your dad. My dad could beat up your dad. You know, contentment and comparison don't mix together very well. And we're going to take a, a closer look at that in the book of Ecclesiastes. My journey, personally, when it comes to learning to be content, actually started where yours might have started back in high school. You know, everybody's looking for their group and their deal. And I realized very quickly that even though I was a pretty good kickball player in my neighborhood, I was not an elite athlete in my high school. And we had some elite athletes. There was one student, couple grades behind me. He was all state in wrestling. He was all American at University of Michigan and then became the first American gold medalist in Greco-Roman wrestling. We had another student classmate of mine, Bob Welch, who went on to be a Cy Young award-winning pitcher with the Oakland Athletics. And I was a pitcher too, couldn't compare to Bob. So I hung up the spikes. And then I realized I wasn't as smart as I thought I was either, especially when it came to math and science. There, there were plenty of students smarter than me. My first clue was they would solve the problems lightning fast. I was slow as molasses. And my family, we weren't wealthy, so there was no chance of keeping up with or, or hanging out with the rich kids. You know, there, there seems to be something inside us that, that wants to measure ourselves against other people and see how we stack up against them, whoever they are. We compare ourselves, don't we? And we even gauge our worth and our value that way. And the problem is, and you already know this, there's always somebody with more-er. You know this, right? There's always someone who is just rich-er who is skinny-er, who is smart-er, who is hip-er, who is more talented-er, or their girlfriend is pretty-er, or their boyfriend is cute-er, or their job is bet-er. 
I mean, everywhere you look, whatever you want to do, whatever you want to be good at, whatever you think you're good at, whatever you think you've accomplished, there's always somebody, somebody with more er. So what we do, or what I did, I'll speak for myself, what I did is I looked around for people with less er. See, because when I was with people with less er than my er, I felt superior-er. <laughs> and we all want to feel we kind of got it going on. And we want to feel a little bit superior. So this becomes a, a dynamic that we live with. And I don't know if it ever goes away entirely. And then there, there's some of us who don't even want to be an er. We want to be an est. We want to be the rich est, the smart est, the healthy est, the cute est. We want to be the skinny est, the pretty est. We want to be the retweeted est, okay? We don't want to be an er, we want to be an est, nothing less. And so the moral of the story is that there's just no win. There's never, ever, ever any win in comparison. And you may have heard that said before. It's true. There's just no win in comparison. In fact, comparison is what puts the dis in discontentment. And discontentment fueled by comparison is actually very dangerous. And you already know this. This is not new information for you. And some of you are working yourself to death. Some of you are studying yourself to death. And what's driving you, you tell yourself, I just, I'm just trying to maximize my potential. And that's a good thing, to maximize your potential. But unfortunately, you may be feeding off somebody else's potential who doesn't even know you're competing with him or her. And oftentimes, we're killing ourselves financially, relationally, emotionally, and on and on and on and on. But this whole comparison thing, this will put you at odds with people that you know you'll never be like, that you know you'll never be as much as whatever it is you want to be as that they are as. And so we shrink back and we get real good at creating reasons why they're not okay. And the problem is, they are okay. It's just, we're not okay. And you find yourself not being able to get along with certain kinds of people who remind you of who you'll never be and what you'll never look like or who, you, who you'll never marry or what you'll never do in your future. They've got your job. They're living in your dream. And you're just miserable. And then there's the whisper for lack of a better term. I know it's not from God. You know, that, that whisper that basically says, you need what they have to be respectable, acceptable, and lovable. That's kind of the, the moral of our culture story, isn't it? You need what they have to be respectable, acceptable, and lovable. And I, I've lived long enough to know this. Let me tell you something about they. You know, they, whoever they are for you, 
people that you know or friends of friends, maybe it's just posts or pictures on, on Facebook or, or social media, they actually have the same voice in their heads saying the same thing. Because no matter what you have or what you've accomplished, there's no win in comparison. It never leads anywhere. In fact, the wisest man to ever live, Solomon, who had it all, did it all, been there, done that, the wisest man to ever live, he summed it up this way. He wrote this, Proverbs 14, verse 30. Envy rots the bones. That's pretty graphic. Envy rots the bones. And so the bottom line the bottom line for our time together this morning is simply this. Knock it off, all right? Just stop doing that. You know, if only it were that easy. And I wish I could stand up here and say, let me tell you how this will never affect you again. I can't tell you how to make it disappear, but I do want to tell you how, how to manage this tension because it's not going away. It won't just go away, but it does not have to control you. It does not have to drive you. Because it, as long as I'm trying to keep up with people that I can't keep up with, I don't have any margin for other people in my life. And I don't have margin to support the things I want to support because I'm trying to keep up with people who don't even know I'm trying to keep up with them. And what if... What if you miss God's purpose for your life because you were trying to measure up to somebody else? You know, trying to keep up with, with some cultural idea of success. It has the potential to, to steal the joy right out of your life. And so what I want to do in the next few minutes, I, I want to give you a mental line of defense. In other words, a place that, that you can go to mentally when you start drifting toward envy or, or discontentment emotionally. Because for most of us, even though it starts right here, generally with our eyes, it gets emotional very quickly. You know, suddenly we're, we're feeling behind, we're feeling unloved, we're feeling ugly, we're feeling dumb, we're feeling like not, not uh, everyone is going to like who we are. We're not measuring up to what someone expects us to be. And this morning, I, I want to give you a couple of, of phrases that I hope you'll drive deep down into your soul. And as you experience the, the tug, as you hear the whisper, as I hear the whisper, that we would have a place to go to mentally to tell ourselves something that, that is so true and so instructional that it might keep us between the guardrails. And if you're a Christian, a passionate, lifelong follower of Jesus Christ, it might keep you directed toward God's purposes for your life. So back to the, the wisest guy to ever live. He's an old man now, seen it all, done it all. He's extremely wealthy, accomplished some amazing things. And of course, I'm talking about Solomon. He has all this life experience, and he's downloading his life experience for people like us who have less life experience and who will never experience life like he's experienced it. So here's what he says. If you have 
the, the Bible open, Ecclesiastes 4, and look at verse 4. And I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. You're like, what? He goes, yep, I've seen it. I know, I know what's happening out there. You see, this isn't new. It's at least 3,000 years old. In other words, he says, I looked around and I realized everybody is simply competing. Everybody is determining where they are on the basis of where everybody else is. And then he sa says this, this too is meaningless. And then he gives us our phrase, this mental image. He gives us a, a phrase that I want you to memorize. You know, make it part of your mental language. You know what mental language is. It's stuff you don't necessarily stay out, say out loud. You just think it. And by the way, there are some things you should just think and not say out loud. So anyway, I want to give you something to say to yourself, or you may need to say it out loud. Now here, here's the phrase. This is so powerful. Now look at this verse again, and notice the last part. And I saw all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless. And here's the phrase, a chasing after the wind. Wow, a chasing after the wind. It's endless, it's pointless. There's no finish line, there's no trophy because there's no winner and there is no peace. There's just err, not arg, no, err, dissatisfaction guaranteed, dissatisfaction guaranteed, because comparison is what puts the dis in discontentment, and discontentment equals dissatisfaction guaranteed. It steals your joy. And here's the tragic thing. It steals the joy from your accomplishments, the, the accomplishments God gave you because somebody else accomplished more. Somebody else has more. And so when you catch yourself, and you may even catch yourself before this service is over, but when you catch yourself looking, you know, oh man, I wish I had hair like that. I wish I had skin like that. Look, look, look at that outfit. That wouldn't look that good on me. And look, look at those guns on him. I, I don't even have water pistols. And look at the car they're driving. And when you catch yourself looking in somebody else's direction, when you catch yourself drifting into somebody else's lane, that's when you say to yourself, and for some of us, I think we should say it out loud, not loud enough for everybody else to hear, but just loud enough to stop us and pull us up in our tracks. That's when we say, ah, that's chasing the wind. And I don't chase the wind. Do you want to spend the rest of your life chasing the wind? No. Why? Because there's no win in chasing the wind. There's no win in comparison. There's no trophy. There's no finish line. There's no, I did it. You did what? I don't know. I, I just did it, I, I think. You know, th there's no win, okay? There's always faster, cuter, younger, hipper, stronger, smarter, richer, better out there. It's chasing the wind. 
And come on, I, I may not know you personally, but I know this. Your life is, is too valuable and your time is too short for you to waste any of it chasing after the wind. And so the moment those emotions, those feelings start to surface, those feelings of inadequacy, and I'm not rich enough, and I didn't measure up to what my parents wanted, and, and all this stuff, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's chasing the wind. And I don't chase the wind. Now, fortunately, Solomon's not through because he knows that there's another side of this. And he knows what some of us are thinking because the whole idea of not chasing the wind is not an invitation to be passive. It wasn't like, eh, you know, just live and let live. Doesn't really matter. You know, you're here today, you're gone tomorrow. I mean, he said some things like that in Ecclesiastes, but in his own life, personally, Solomon accomplished a whole lot. He achieves some incredible things. So here's what he says. He says, now don't take this to an unhealthy extreme. Look at verse 5. Fools, you see that? Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Fools say, you know what? Since I can't keep up, since everybody's better than me, since everybody's more talented than me, since everybody had a better family, since everybody, since everybody, I'm not even going to try. And Solomon said, no, no, no. Only a fool does that. Being unproductive is not the answer. And so in this next verse, this is so powerful. He brings it all together. Look at this. And some of you perhaps need to memorize this statement. Verse 6. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Isn't that great? You're like, I don't even know what it means. So let's break it down. Look at the imagery here. He says, it's better to have one handful of tranquility, which rubs us the wrong way in our culture, because our culture isn't about one. Our culture is about two. Our, our culture is about more. If I had four hands, I would go for four handfuls. It's all about more, more, more. And he says, okay, I have more than all of you. you know, so just be quiet and listen up for a second. You know, I'm telling you, one handful with tranquility, one handful with tranquility is better than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. And tranquility means satisfaction. Tranquility means you, you visit your friend or your older brother or even your younger brother, your older sister, your younger sister, and they live in this big old house, you know, with, with four or five bathrooms and a swimming pool, and it's a gated community with a guard. And so you drive up, and that guard says, who are you? <laughs> and who are you here? And they call up your brother, do you really know these people? You know what kind of car they're driving? And then you drive home to wherever you live, and you know what tranquility is? Tranquility is, I am so happy for them. Doesn't even bother you. You got into the school I wanted to go to, and you know what? I'm happy for you. Once upon a time, that would have bothered me so much, I'm not even sure we could be friends. But I'm truly happy for you. 
I've learned that one handful with tranquility is better than two handfuls with strife and chasing after the wind. Now, here's the thing. We assume more is better. That's what we're taught every single day. And we assume that more is better. But chasing more always leaves us wanting more. It's never enough. It never ends. And so here's the point. And this is why it's so powerful. Less is actually more when the less you hold is what you were created for. That's our key thought. Less is actually more when the less you hold is what you were designed for and created for, what you were born to do. Better one handful with tranquility than grasping and striving and pretending and competing. And then he goes on. He says, let me tell you something else I've seen while we're talking about it. This is so great. Verse 8. Again, he says, I saw something meaningless under the sun. Well, tell us what it is. This is fascinating, Solomon. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, to which we're like, so what? You see, in this culture, if you didn't have a son, if you didn't have a brother, you had no one to leave your estate to, no one to leave all, all your stuff to, because women in that culture, in those ancient times, could not inherit anything. So here's this guy, he's been working so hard and he's amassed all this stuff to, to show for it, but he doesn't have anybody to leave it to. And then Solomon says, verse 8, there was no end to his toil. He had nose to the grindstone, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He was working so hard and he's getting, gaining so much, but you know, more leads to more and bigger leads to bigger and better leads to better. And he's getting after it and getting after it and getting after it. And he finally, this guy finally stops and he asks a question that some of us have never asked. And I'm telling you, I wish I had asked this question earlier in my life. The earlier you learn to ask this question, the better off you'll be. You'll learn, learn to be content with one handful of tranquility. And you won't be content like you won't accomplish anything. No, you will accomplish all that you were born to accomplish, all that God created you to accomplish, but you will do it with peace and tranquility. Because here's the question this guy forgot to ask that most of us forget to ask. It's so powerful. Solomon says he forgot to ask, for whom am I toiling? You know, he finally asked the question. I mean, he's been going on and on and on year after year. It finally hits him. He says, wait a minute, hold on. Who am I doing this for? What am I trying to prove? And who am I trying to prove it to? Why, why am I doing this and who am I doing it for? It's a hard question. A question I had to wrestle to the ground many years ago. And if we were to sit down for lunch, I would say, this is a really big deal. And the younger you are when you address it, the more time you'll have to be clear and focused in living out God's plan for your life. But it's never too late. You see, there's an answer to this question, whether you know the answer or not. 
whether you, you thought about it or not. Why are you doing this? Why are you striving? You know, why are you toiling? Why are you pushing? Why are you grinding your teeth? Who is it for? And for some of you, do you know who it's for? You're competing with your brother. Maybe you're competing with your sister. Some of you, you're trying to live up to your mother's expectations. And you can't seem to meet that. You just can't win. You try and you try and you try. Why? And some of you are trying to please your father. Some of you are trying to make your father smile and fi finally get that hug. And, and, and some of you, your, your father has passed away and you're still striving. You're, you're still trying to win his approval. Trying to gain his blessing. And you've never stopped to ask this powerful question. Hey, wait a minute. Why am I doing this? Who am I doing this for? Whose approval am I competing for? And do they even know? Do they even care? Would it even matter if they did? And so here's the question, and then we're moving on. For whom are you toiling, really? And for some of you, when you're able to answer that question, it will free you up to be content with one handful of tranquility in instead of striving for two handfuls of if only, if only, if only. And Solomon goes on using this fictitious guy that, that kind of represents all of us, verse 8. And why, why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This guy, Solomon says, he's accomplished so much, he has no one to leave it to, and he's not even enjoying his stuff. Not even enjoying his life. He's so bound up with more stuff and chasing after the wind. It's like, wait a minute, who am I doing this for? And why is it? Why is it that I'm not even enjoying the fruit of my labor? It's because he never asked the question to begin with. Why am I doing this? And perhaps you aren't enjoying your life very much these days. And let me tell you what, if you're not enjoying your life, no one else will. For some of you, and I'm getting a little personal here, you know, the reason your relationships are just kind of repeat, 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 same thing in the same way, you know, if you're not enjoying your life, the people that you date aren't going to enjoy you. They're just not. If you're not enjoying your life, the people that are closest to you, your friends, they won't enjoy you either. They will sense your angst. In fact, they may have tried to tell you in more words or less, but you couldn't hear it. You, you just deflected it. Well, I, I'm just intense. And some people can't handle that. And then there's this. There's this. Somewhere in the world today are half a billion people who would look at your life and your circumstances, and your body, and where you live, and what you drive, and who you know, and they would consider you one of the most fortunate people on the face of the earth. But you don't. And you know why you don't? Because you don't know why you're toiling and striving. And you're not clear on who you're doing it for. One handful with peace and tranquility is so so much better than two handfuls of grinding it out and tension and no peace. 
This too, he says, is meaningless. It's a miserable business. Last part of verse 8. You will never know who you were born to be, who you were created to be, as long as you're looking over your shoulder at anybody else. Because the energy you expend and the energy I expend looking left and right and over my shoulder, that's energy God gave us to do what, what he called us to do and created us to do. You have to learn to run your race and quit chasing the wind. Well, back to Solomon, this is the entire statement that I gave you the, the second part of as we began. Uh, Proverbs chapter four, 14, verse 30, here it is. A heart at peace, tranquil, gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You cannot, I don't care how rich you are, how good looking you are, where you live, who you're connected to, you cannot compare your way to peace. You cannot compare your way to tranquility. And here's something else to think about. Count your blessings not your neighbors. In other words, stay focused on the good things that God is doing in your life and knock off the comparisons. You can't win chasing the wind. And God has given you a race to run. And you need to get in your lane and you need to focus and you need to stay there and run the race that he has marked out for you. You know, look to other people for inspiration, Sure. And celebrate with them. Look to, to other people for inspiration, but don't look to them for imitation. And when you see somebody knocking it out of the park with the gifts and strengths God has given them, and you know, maybe it's somebody living your dream, somebody driving your car, somebody with a full ride to your school, getting your degree, you celebrate them. You say, I'm so happy for you. But I am running my race, and I am staying in my lane. You know, I'm not going to waste an ounce of energy resenting you. And I'm not going to waste an ounce of my life comparing myself with you and competing with you, being jealous of you. You say, I I I'm happy for you, but I am running my race in the lane that God has marked out for me and placed me in. Jordan Peterson, in his book, 12 Rules for Life, uh, said this. I love this quote. Compare yourself, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not to who somebody else is today. That's great advice, isn't it? If you've got to compare, if you just have to compare, compare yourself to who you were yesterday. And more specifically, are you a little more like Jesus today than you were yesterday? Are you a little closer to him and living out his desires and will for your life more so today than yesterday? Are, are you living your life for that audience of one? Are you finding your ultimate identity and satisfaction and security in belonging to him more so today than yesterday? Because you've only got one shot at this. Now, don't miss the life that God has for you. And don't miss what life has in store for you. And so when your emotions start drifting, 
when your emotions start getting the best of you, you stop and you just declare to yourself, and I say, go ahead and say it out loud, I will not chase the wind. I will run my race in my lane. I will not chase the wind. That's good for you. Congratulations. That's great. I'm happy for you. I will not chase the wind. I will run my race in my lane. And if you do, you will become the person God created you to be. And you'll achieve, you'll achieve all that God created you to achieve. And maybe we could all, all make this commitment today. I will live my life. I will run my race for an audience of one. Using the strengths and abilities and the gifts that he's given to me. Nobody else that he's given to me to bring a smile and delight and honor to my Lord Jesus Christ. I will run the race that he has marked out for me. And I will run it for him, for his glory. Let's, let's pray together. Father God, we, we come and we, we thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have a plan, that you have a purpose for each of our lives. And that plan is so unique to each one of us. Lord, I pray for each person here that, that we might really just celebrate the way that you have made us and not look at other people or we'd like this or that or the other thing. Just look at who we are and celebrate how you've made us. And Lord, that we would fulfill your purposes for our lives, that you would use us to have an impact, to make a difference, to be an influence in the lives of, of other people, that they would see Jesus in our lives. And Lord, I, I pray that, that when we are tempted to, to compare, that you would help us pull up short and just declare we're not going to chase the wind. We're going to, to run the race that you have given us to run. That at the end of, of the day, at the end of our lives, we could say, I fought a good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.